1 p.m. on the East Coast. Swizzle here. That's Carter Braxton Worth. Dan Nathan is still... Yes, I spoke about myself or whatever in the third person. But, Guy Adami, look at Carter Worth. All right, before we even start, you have a mug there with a J on it. So, obviously, your name is not Carter J. You wonder how these, you accumulate these things, right? How many mugs does I want to have with weird things on them? But this, there's a J. Hmm. There's a J. Well, you know what? I mean, why, you're Carter Worth. You can never do the thing you want. This market call is brought to you by FactSet, Carter Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow, before we even start, um, I watched the All-Star game last night. The only reason, in my opinion, to watch the All-Star game historically was to be able to see the players in their respective uniforms. It was a beautiful thing to see as yet all the different uniforms adorned on the first base and third base lines for pregame introductions and then obviously on the field of play. Last night, the geniuses at MLB decided, you know what, we're going to make these homogenous ugly ass uniforms and have the people watch i don't know what they were thinking but clearly it's a merch thing number one number two this is a show where you ask for it you got it peeps you want trade ideas well they're going to be a litany of them in the next few minutes um but carter how are you on this fine day obviously the market got off to a rip-roaring start on the back of this headline we're going to put up now inflation seemingly being tamed i get it I never thought it wouldn't be tamed. You know, we said for a while it's going to be pesky and persistence. That's been the case. I guess the question is, and right now the market's not dealing with it in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, what were the means necessary to get it here? In other words, it's sort of like cancer patient, radiation, um, all the different things that you use in terms of curing the disease, but the ancillary knock-on effects sometimes uh, unfortunately, kill the patient. And that's what I think potentially could happen here. Yeah, you got inflation under control, but at what cost, I guess is my point. But here we are. You see the headlines. It is coming down. I think it is still a bit of a problem. They're probably still going to hike, I would imagine, next week, but we'll see. I don't even know if it matters at this point. But what do you make of the market action right now? Because market opened on the highs. It's been sort of drifting sideways to slightly lower since. Do we should make anything of this at all? Well, look, I mean, you know, time frames are infinite. There are people who literally trade for nanoseconds. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people who are day traders, people trade for four sessions, or people who don't have a fixed time frame who react to price action. If something pops, they grab it, or it pops, they add more because they think you'll get a second day out of it. Look at Rivian up nine days in a row, et cetera, mm -hmm. and so forth. But intraday price action is very important. And um, reversals, a weekday that ends up closing very uh, well in the green, that has implications just as a day that's strong, that fades, has implications. Now, we're sitting here at the midpoint um, of the session. Were we to close down 15 handles on the S&P, that would be a shocking reversal, just as if we close up 60 handles. So intraday is very important, but it's not known until the end. Mm -hmm. But what we do know now is that after what is an impetuous, impulsive, news-related open, a gap, we are giving some of that back. Ultimately, we have now five plus unfilled gaps immediately below in the S&P since March. And I think all of them ultimately will be filled soon enough. Yeah, I think today's going to be a fun day to watch and see how things um, progress. Do we continue to sort of grind higher or do things reverse? Again, I mean, to your point, we don't know. Um, it appears as though this could be one of those days where you do start to give some stuff back. We'll see. But I teased the fact that we're going to give some actionable ideas. But before 
we get into sort of the granular individual names, I think you want to take a look at the Russell uh, as measured through the IWM and you bought a bunch of charts. And uh, I think, again, you talk about bearish to bullish reversals, potential double bottoms. You're probably seeing it here in the IWM. But you please wax poetic. Right. So uh, and and um, I have not labeled this correctly. So what this is, is a ratio chart. It's not actually the IWM. It is the relative performance mm -hmm. line, IWM to uh, SPY. And what we know is that we're at the COVID lows. So think about those plunging lows in March of 2020. Now, Apple and Microsoft are plunging. So is Coke. But we're on a relative basis. The underperformance of small cap to large is now at the nadir of the COVID moment. And so either this is as bad as COVID or it's not. Presumptively, it's not, which is to say one plays, look at the next chart, one plays for a bounce here, a beautiful double bottom on the relative. Not only is it back to the COVID lows, look at this next chart. This is a this is going back to 2003. These are 20-year relative lows. Put in the next iteration, we are at a really big juncture, which one has to make a judgment. Do we stay, does one stay overweight, large, super cap? loved extended names, or does one generate alpha uh, in the quarter or quarters ahead by finding laggards, IWM type stocks that are bottoming out? I think it's the latter. You traffic in this area of the market. Okay. So let's again, clarify. So this is a ratio chart. This is not the Russell per se. This is the Russell right. measured against the S. I would imagine That's it's right. the SPY, which is fine. So this can resolve itself a number of, well, number of ways, a couple of ways, effectively. Obviously, the IWM could bounce in a meaningful way uh, and the spider go, the SPY go nowhere. The SPY could come off in a meaningful way and the IWM go nowhere. Or, as typically happens, you get an outperformance of one and the underperformance of the other. And I think uh, that's probably how it resolves itself. You could continue to see, uh, or you should start to see, I should say, some relative strength in the IWM, obviously a lot of regional banks there, as opposed to potentially some weakness in the SPY. Am I looking at that correctly? Well, that's right. I mean, how a how you get convergence between two things that have diverged, there's any, not like yesterday we were talking about the 210 spread, right? Is it, which way is it? Or is it a little blend of, of both? Uh, but what I'm hoping to convey here, and, and some could say this is completely wrong, the small capital are going to get much worse if we go into recession. But a great deal, if not all, of the trouble, uh, I think, is priced in, making the point that we're, we're at the COVID low. Uh, at the COVID low, anything that wasn't safe was being dumped, and anything perceived safe, Apple, Microsoft, was still being dumped, but being dumped less. And that's what a ratio chart's all about. Noted. So let's start to go some of these individual names because we have a few and, you know, we could take some times looking at them. But, you know, you brought with you the first one. I didn't even know this one existed, to be honest with you. Yeah. The Round Hill meme ETF. There's a, there's an index that's just been created and you can see that the 150 moving average only goes back only to June. We don't have enough data actually to plot it in its entirety. But what's remarkable about this is. Um, is how similar it is to uh, the ARC fund. Look at the next chart. Let's mm -hmm. toggle. So we got ARC, and we go back and forth. ARC, meme stock, ARC, meme. Now put them together. Look at this. It's the same damn thing. Now, their holdings are a little bit different, but it's it's this area of the market 
where alpha is being generated, meaning Microsoft is unchanged to down over the past three to four weeks. Apple too. These stocks are up uh, immeasurably. And the question is, does this momentum continue? I think you've got, uh, you've got legs in some of this stuff. These are trades. And I think this is where one wants to make one's trades, not just sitting in Apple or Microsoft. This is a great question, and we're going to. But uh, Matrix of Compassion again. I want to say he because the picture, but he's here with us every day. Carter, with your bearish to bullish reversals, if you have a macro sense that the market is likely to decline, which I think we both do, do you wait for the market to stabilize before entering a bearish to bullish stock, or? You strictly go with the chart no matter what the macro short-term conditions. It's, it's, That's it's actually a, a really good question. It's a damn good question. In fact, it's, 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 you know why it's so good? Because it's unanswerable. Meaning the easy questions are easy. This, it's a fantastic question. It, it covers all the nuances of investing. First of all, the premise of it, which is so accurate, is based on a luxury. And what I mean by that is being able to actually make that decision. Should I wait or not wait because of what my view is the market? If one is, think, since one is managing a mutual fund, or, or or a hedge fund. There is no waiting, right? You, especially a mutual fund, long only, they have to be involved. So they don't have that luxury. But those of us who are doing our own accounts, right, you do have the luxury of saying, wait a minute, if I have a view that the market's a little overdone, um, why would I in turn go and buy a bunch of bearish or bullish reversals that in principle would give ground, would give way a bit or a lot, if and as the market gives way. And so, uh, my hunch is always to split, to hedge, just the way pairs trade, is to have some exposure to these, but um, have some powder, uh, have some cash. So if and as there is a general market give back, uh, that one can add more to these bearish to bullish reversals. That's, it is a great question. Quite, this is from, and I'm not going to, I'll, I'll give a shot. Seung Cha, I really enjoyed the analysis on crude and OIH yesterday. That's playing out again. Would you mind looking at Delta headed into earnings? Well, first of all, I think Delta reported, I want to say on the 13th. I, maybe I'm wrong. That's off the top of my head. But here's part of the gist of the question. I would think that higher crude doesn't mean good things for the airlines. And inherently, that is true. There are some airlines that hedge their energy risk, others that don't. Um, so I can't get that granular. I will yeah. say, though, what the airlines have been able to do is pass on those costs. So we've been actually been pretty constructive on Delta for a while. And if you sort of pull that chart out a, a lot longer term, you will see that I think we finally broken pretty long term downtrend that this has been in. There it is. So, you know, your eye can go back and see those tops and then see obviously the subsequent tops. And we have just broken out of a downtrend that you can draw with your eyes if you look. Um, so, I've thought for a while we're going to get back to the highs we saw in 2021. That seemingly is coming to fruition. Does this tell you anything whatsoever, Carter? Right. I was just looking up. So I guess earnings are tomorrow. Of the okay. Um, so we'll, we will have that. Uh, yes, you, you bring up uh, all airlines are most uh, hedge. Uh, they're crude sometimes to great effect and sometimes disastrously, right? Oh, tomorrow is the 13th. I'm, I yeah. apologize. So, I yeah. mean, and, sorry and, about that. And so I don't know what Delta has done, of course, uh, but ultimately, um, yes, higher fuel prices uh, have an impact on the margins. But the here and now issue is this aggressive re-rating in the stock. Um, and we saw it on the short term, but you can see it here. Um, the stock has moved up so much. The question is, has it priced in? Uh, what prospectively is, is a good number. 
that's my hunch. I would, I would split the baby here. I would stay long and I would sell calls. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now that I'm looking at it, it's before the market tomorrow. And if we can pull that chart up real quick, I'll say, because we've been saying this on Fast Money for a while. I don't know if your cursor can take us to those 2021 highs, but it probably puts us a little north of 50 bucks or so, Carter, if I'm looking at it. So, you know, I actually would suggest you stay long this name, maybe pulse, you know, say, get a little, get out of half of it on the close today or something, and then sort of play with it the rest of the day tomorrow. You could have one of these days tomorrow where you get sort of these blow off tops where it gets through that 2021 high, gives most of it back during the day, and maybe that's your short-term top. So hopefully I answered, or not I, hopefully we answered your question. Here's one from Brent Weaver, uh, and I'll be quick on this one because I don't think either one of us have a, a, a real sense on Rivian. But how would you play Rivian after this parabolic move? This is what I'll tell you. And I read a Wall Street Journal article today's Wednesday. I think it was Monday. I think there was a journal article about Rivian saying for every $83,000 car they make, it costs them about $150,000. So the Rivian move is, has been parabolic, but I don't think it's sort of um, I don't think it's steeped in fundamentals. I think it's steeped in a lot of uh, hopium for sure. So. If you've enjoyed this move, and I think Carter would agree with this, um, there's nothing wrong with taking money off the table. I mean, this has not been a particularly good story until the last couple of weeks. I don't think the fundamentals have necessarily changed, um, but that's the way I look at it, Carter. Yeah, it's it's got two gaps uh, now on fill, of course. It is on a day-to-day -day basis backing and filling after the preceding very steep uh, four-day, five-day uh double almost, uh, I guess it is. Um, but you're getting very close to overhead supply, right? People who bought, uh, not their fault, it happens to all of us, poorly before it really collapsed um, back in the left-hand side of the chart. And so buy, sell, hold here, I'm a seller. Whirlpool is the first chart we want to look at from the Carter Braxton Worth uh, charts. And this is something, again, this is a name we've talked about on Fast Money. And we had mentioned um, the fact that you've had this huge sell-off in the name, probably justifiably so, but it got down to levels of support. But I'm going to let you speak to this. By the way, I think Whirlpool reports on the 25th of this month. Right. And I think we have six of these. So just to sort of get a, get a flavor, let's go really quickly. One, two, three, four, five, six. So here we go. Whirlpool, what's the next one? And then we'll look at them and study them. Next one, next one, next one, next one, next one. Now, You'll notice there's a difference between the first three and the second three. So let's start at the top. Whirlpool um, is, a, is a bigger, heavier, more mature name. So if we look at Whirlpool, um, it has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. It has a low in October. That's the low in the S&P. It went down and revisited that low in March and held, got very close in June and held. And now by holding and not making new lows, that allows for the Smoothing mechanism, the 150 moving average to flatten. So it's a prototypical bearish. What's the relative strength? A whole lot better than the market. Um, the green arrow speaks for itself. Um, next, also a mature kind of company, Stanley Black & Decker. Here too, it's the October low, but it doesn't make a new low. Um, all very curative, developmental, healing, time and price, pass. Uh, you work through your issues, your problems. A third one, also a very big name, a bit different, but the elements are the same. Preceding weakness that's extreme, enough time since the low 
and making no new lows that allows for a moving average, whichever one you use, I use the 150, to start to flatten and actually inflect up ever so slightly. So these are mature uh, businesses, larger cap, that all have the elements of bearish to bullish reversals. And I think this is where alpha's generated versus just trying to ride Apple, Microsoft, and other very extended names. Now, the second batch, three stocks as well, are smaller, let's say lower quality, but not bad quality, but more speculative. They were down more during their uh, week period, which implies more upside if and as they are, in fact, bottoming. So Generac, um, a wipeout, right, down 70 80%. But it, too, the 150 days flattened and now starting to rise. Look at the next one, uh, Roku. It has all the elements of a bearish tubo. I'm exceedingly bearish, but then basing, bottoming, curing, healing. The word developmental comes to mind. And the third, um, match.com. And so one could say, yeah, but I looked at that. I don't know anything about match.com other than I guess it's a dating site. But one could say, I have tons of debt, or there's too much competition, or apparently their cancellation rate. It's not about any of that. It's about these are trades. Can mm -hmm. we trade this the way someone has traded Carvana or someone has traded Rivian? Can we make money a dollar or 10 um, as these things uh, play out? I think we can. Yeah, it's interesting. Let's just go back to Whirlpool for a second. I mean, the reason why the stock sold off as precipitously as it did, I mean, you're talking about durable goods, obviously. You're talking about a slowing economy and the market sold off in a meaningful way. It made sense, uh, especially given what was going on in the broader market. But you know, now to your point, nothing's necessarily changed. Um, but this is one of those names, like the other names you mentioned, that could just sort of do this levitation on the back of nothing. We've obviously seen it in the big cap technology funds and everybody gets excited and throws fundamental reasons at the back of it. The reality is uh, a lot of times it's got nothing to do with fundamentals. It's done with, due to money flow and just sort of the stocks feeding on itself. And I think that's what you're seeing here. So Whirlpool, again, in the earnings is one of these things that can start to levitate and people will start mentioning valuation is sort of a catalyst. And that can be true. I will tell you on the way down, it was compelling on valuation as well. But when you see these reversals, they can become very powerful. The question you have to ask yourself is, right, what's your exit point if you're right? Well, clearly this has been right. And, you know, as my eye goes, the exit point is probably around the levels we sort of cascaded lower from if you go back to sort of March. Uh, obviously, the real steep decline started earlier than that. But the first level of resistance should come into form. And I'm probably somewhere between 185 and 190. And, and that's how I would look at this. And that's how you can trade these things, Carter. Yep. Um, and, and again, hard to know. There's something called a measured move where mm -hmm. a formation uh, implies the move will come to an end. Uh, is it 180? Uh, that's as good a price objective as any. Yes. And, you know, I'll throw another one of my charts and we've actually talked about it. Dan's mentioned it as well. And I'm going to ask Jacob to pull it up on the fly. But look at the recent move in, in Robinhood, for example. There was a note out, I want to say, in early June, early to mid-June, how Robinhood was starting to take some share from Coinbase. Um, but if we just look at this chart, and if you even want to go back uh, farther just to sort of see the scope of what it's done recently, obviously the sucker's been flatlining. I mean, th there's nothing there. But then if you go shorter term, you see a move from eight and a half bucks to current levels. And in percentage terms, Carter, that's a tremendous move. And 
this probably still has room to the upside as well. Yeah, I mean, what, what's I, I mean, the important takeaway, I guess, is that it's it's happening across the spectrum. It's independent of what these operating businesses are. It is about money flow, and it's money uh, in principle that's being trimmed from Microsoft or Apple, and those are such large cap that it doesn't take a lot of money to move a lot of these smaller speculative names. Now, one could say that that happens towards the end of a run in the S&P, right? The money gets into these speculative names just before uh, the whole thing starts to correct. And, and, and to some extent, that was the nature of the very first question, that really fantastic question about trying to time entry points if one's concerned about um, the overall market. Day-to-day, uh, the, -day, the momentum's intact, and, and one has to assume, presume that the momentum continues in these names. Sam the Door asks, can we take a look at NVIDIA? Sure. I think, and, and this is off the top of my head, so I apologize if I'm wrong. I think Goldman, somebody put NVIDIA on their best best list or you know whatever top buy list. I think it was today. But let's pull up an NVIDIA chart because, you know, again, this has captivated seemingly the entire investing community. And I get it. I mean, I understand, you know, the story behind it. Real question comes down to, you know, what valuation are you willing to pay and how quickly can they grow into the current valuation, which is a little absurd. And by the way, there's this still unfilled gap. So, yeah, it looks great. But at what point do, um, do you get a rug pull here? And I think and I'm looking at it quickly so I don't make it up. I want to say they report on the 23rd of August. So you got a little over a month of runway into earnings. And for the record, um, you've seen some great earnings releases in terms of price action. You've seen others as well. So here we are. Does this tell you anything here at all, Carter? Not much other than uh, we all uh, look, there are a lot of people that made a lot of money. Um, the, the street is perennially behind this thing. They keep raising the price targets in reaction to the price moving up. Um, Look, it's extended by all measures. Uh, again, we've talked about this in the context of uh, of Cisco. You know, Cisco was the most valuable company in the world. Um, and, you know, their 1999 annual report was feel the momentum or ride the momentum or play them, literally those words. Um, uh, these things have a way of ultimately getting resolved, not in line with the consensus. Let's say it that way. Yep. David McNeil asks, and this has been an interesting stock over the last couple of weeks. I think there was a settlement that sort of got the price higher by about 10 bucks. But Triple M reports on the 25th, currently sitting at 102 and change. Big bounce off 92 and a half. True. What are your thoughts on a potential bearish or bullish reversal? I don't personally, I don't think we're there yet. I mean, we may be, but, you know, this is one that's been upper left to lower right for a while. Maybe you see something that I don't see. I think there's a little more room to the upside, but. You know, my eye goes and looks at a still significant downtrend that we haven't broken yet. What are your thoughts? Yeah, sure. It doesn't qualify officially. It's way too early, too young to be a bearish, too bullish reversal by my work. The question, though, is, and there's a very precise trend line that's in effect over the past two years. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of bumping up against that. I think this is the kind of thing that has, it's so bad. It's been so non-participatory. It's so far below it's COVID low that you get a surprise. You you get look at Domino's today. You know, as yep. a real underperformer. This is the kind of thing that everyone's on one side. It's hated. I guess they, um, you know, a great darling that's not being managed well anymore. Maybe people don't want post-it notes. I don't know, but that's not important. What is important is I think you speculate here and go small long. Yep. 
post-it notes are my personal fave. Jeff Schwar- Jeff is asking, and now we need an IWM chart, Jacob, if you could. But what would your exit point be on the Russell two thousand? Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's pull it up and take a look. I mean, we you know we can both probably eyeball it a bit. Again, the earlier charts that you brought forth were ratio charts, but you know something I thought for a while we could probably gravitate up to the February high. And I think again, I want to say that probably comes in little south of 200 or maybe right on the screws. What are your thoughts here? Right. So the February high is very close to the August high. We know that the S&P is now, you know, through that August high. Uh, four or 5% higher is what I would say. And that's back to that February, August high. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at our last slide, banks. We have obviously banks reporting. Banks have actually traded pretty well. JP Morgan specifically was really struggling around 138. It's got itself obviously north of about 144. But we get Citi, J.P. Morgan, and BlackRock, not necessarily a bank. Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Schwab on Tuesday, and then Goldman Sachs on Wednesday. So J.P. Morgan is going to be the one that everybody looks at. The juxtaposition with Citi is stark. I mean, maybe we could put up a J.P. Morgan. There you go. To talk about that outperformance that I've just been talking about. I guess, Carter, you know, we drew these lines. You know, we held that uptrend line recently when it traded down to held sort of the 138 level. Um, I understand why people get excited about JP Morgan. What I'll tell you is, you know, you're probably trading one and a half times book, close to two times tangible book at this level, which is historically not ridiculous for this stock. The question is, is it justified in this environment? And I know you wear that hat from time to time. So what are your thoughts? Have the banks run too much in earnings this week? Yeah. So we've got some BKX charts, but as look, the quality banks, the big ones, the the ones that over time, that's the U.S. Bank Corp, uh, J.P. Morgan, of course, are always trading at a premium. It is, I think it's a 1.5657 book here. Um, it always is a premium. Uh, there are others that are, um, you know, quote, cheap. There is, cheap is, is cuts both ways. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost an expletive, right? It's a dirty word. It's a bet. But it also can be quite accurate from time to time. All things held equal, and we'll see some charts here next, Barring uh, really, uh, and that's not what we're getting from the messaging from the market or industrials, barring a real hard recession, the banks are cheap. And I talked to a lot of FIG analysts and portfolio managers. So the question is, do we trade them? Now we have earnings coming, of course, at the end of the week. Um, my hunch is they're going to move higher into earnings, but we can yep. look at the charts. Let's look, that's at the, yeah, let's look at the charts that you brought for sure. So uh, this is... KBW. KBW, you can see it there. There are no lines, no drawings, no judgments, no annotations. Let's put some in. So let's take it away. Let's toggle before, after, before, after. Does it have to do what those green annotations imply? No, but that's my thinking, right? That's a fairly well-formed bottoming form, a minor bottoming formation since the, the March low. And uh, a snapback here to overhead supply would be about nine, even 10%. Uh, now, are we going to get that tomorrow or in the end of the week if big was No, but that's my hunch. Or said differently, there's such a divergence between the S&P and this very important sector within the S&P. Um, at some point, you have to get convergence. Either the S&P uh, has got to give ground or the BKX, the banks, the, the transmission mechanism of the economy uh, have to sort of recover a bit more than they have. 
Yeah, we looked at J.P. Morgan. I agree. You know, and I think part of the bull thesis in the IWM is, well, it's not predicated, but it's the notion that large component of it are regional, small and regional banks. In the absence of bad news, which we haven't really seen over the last couple of months, these things will sort of levitate to valuations levels that make a little more sense because obviously they dropped to pretty historic lows. And I think part of the bull thesis in the, in the Russell is exactly that. And then you bring up the KBW, which I think reinforces that point. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a trade in this case. And look, there are people, and rightly so, who are who spend their lifetime trying to understand these businesses. And they would say, yeah, but the charge-offs are rising. The delinquencies are rising. Uh, you know, the the net interest margins not what it needs to be. Uh, they're still sort of regulated by the Fed, and uh, they're. But it's not about. Yes, it's about that long term. Long term, there's a relationship between the shares of a company and the earnings of the company. But this hour, this month, this six months, this three months, it is nothing to do but money flow. And the question is, and we can look at the chart again of EKX, is that a minor bottoming formation? And do we play it long? I think we do. And John just said, so wait, no more shoes to drop in the bank side? No, that's not what I said. I said in the absence of bad news, um, these stocks will continue to sort of levitate. The question is, do you want to play that game of chicken? Because I think, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, John, John, but what I think is it's just a matter of time before you get another round of bad news for the regional banks. So we'll see. But that's the game people are playing right now. You know, they will ride the momentum and hope they can get in front of what I think is going to be the inevitable. And it's not just me. A lot of people a lot smarter than I am have thought that there's another shoe or two to drop in a small and regional bank. So we'll see. Right. You know, that's what makes markets so, Carter. Right. I mean, on a relative basis, it's important to point this out. If you just did a ratio to the BKX to the S&P, we're at 30-year all-time lows. We are below the financial crisis relative lows. Banks, um, over time, are a lousy investment. Do you know that Morgan Stanley right now is where it was in March of 2000? Yeah, it, it's That's 23 it's years right? having gone nowhere. Just for inflation, you've lost about 80% of your money. Um, uh, not good investments, and they're not growth businesses. They're highly cyclical. And when they peaked, it's because literally – Sandy Wild got rid of Glass-Steagall, and they were levered like they will never be levered again. Uh, we got a comment, then we're going to run. Can Danny talk more about the yen in Japan later this week? Yes, he will. Danny and I will be together for our podcast that drops on Friday, so stay tuned for that. Obviously, thanks, Carter, for the last two days doing yeoman's work. I don't know how to spell it, and I don't know what a yeoman is, but suffice to say he's probably done better than yeoman's work. I want to thank the audience, Amanda. Jacob, Stephen, uh, who's that? My um, Kylie's back there, I think. Is Millie's back there? I mean, everybody's back there in headquarters. Dan's still on vacation; he'll be gone the rest of the week. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. I will be back tomorrow with EY from SoFi, and wait for it, Butters. That's right. We'll see you folks tomorrow. Thank you. Bye.